this podcast. My have bad words because my daddy says words like sh, damn, and other bad words too much. Listener description is advice. Hello and welcome to the Detox Podcast, the podcast for dads where dads talk about life, kids, and stuff. This is Galan, and I am the only host today. As you dads and other parents and people in general know, life can get hectic, and sometimes it's hard to carve out time to do everything we want to do, and that's just what happened to us this week. But I think it works out to our advantage. Um... For those of you who've listened, the last two episodes, we had uh, Frank Minicon, who is a COO of Melanin Origins, which is a children's publishing company that puts out books that feature um, famous people of color that may not get the, the level of attention in school, um, and, but you know deserve a light to be shed on their accomplishments and, and what they've meant to our history. And we had Cinto Ramos Jr. on, who is the president of the Fort Worth ISD School Board and a returning guest. Um, last year, we had Cinto on to discuss what led him to run for the school board, um, how he became president of it. And we had an intention of asking what it was like to be a Hispanic dad in Texas and basically the current state of the country. And when we asked that, it led to what Cinto described as one of his sweet spots. Um, what followed was a really interesting conversation around race, um, the the different levels of both white guilt and, and so basically how white people view um, the other races and then also how people of color view white people. And there's there's on both sides of that, there's five different levels. Uh, this is something that Sintone knows a lot about. He's an adjunct professor at TCU, uh, talks about this kind of stuff, and it was utterly fascinating. Now, if you want to listen to the entire episode, it is episode 17, and you can go back on detoxpodcast.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com. Find that in our history and listen to the entire episode. But what's going to follow is the second segment of that. Now, keep in mind, back then, our episodes were a lot longer. Here on Vocal, our episodes were roughly about 30 to 40 minutes. Back then, they were an hour and a half to two hours. Um, and so the second segment with Cinto is basically the length of our current episodes now. It takes about 10 minutes to get into the meat of that. But the 10 minutes that lead up to it, it sets a foundation for how Cinto uh, approached, you know, uh, approached his running for school board, the impact it had on his kids, the example that he wanted to set, and in I, I believe enriches that uh, second, you know, that that, that part of the that part of the segment where he talks about race. So, if you want to fast forward and get right to that, it should be right about the fourteen minute mark of this episode. Um, you know, but if not, if you want to listen to the entire thing, I, I think that's great now. Um, so actually make that about the 13, 13 minute and 30 second mark. This is where the other hosts normally, uh, rein me in and tell me to stop, but they're not here to do that. So I am just kind of rambling on. So I am going to, 
fade in some music here in a second. And when that music fades out, it will be us talking to Sinto about being a Hispanic father in Texas. Thanks so much. We're back with hashtag more Sinto. More Sinto. <laughs> we can all laugh. <laughs> That's all I want to say. All right, so so a couple of things because because we want to get into your your experience uh, as a dad while also being on the school board. But uh, one thing I was curious about, and and you mentioned it a little bit, but from the time you went and talked initially to all those school administrators, um, and you weren't getting the responses you want wanted till three months later when you were running, what? What transpired? I mean, pretty immediately, were you like, man, maybe someone like me needs to run? Or what, what transpired between that, those initial talks to where you're talking to your sons mm. and, and realized, man, I've got to do this? Wow. It, it's um, – I'm, I'm part – let me back up. I'm part of a, a camp called Camp Community. It's, it's a multicultural alliance. and used to be called Camp Town. And as a co-director of that place, we talk a lot about privilege and power. And I had found myself often – preaching on how to recognize the privileges that we have and meaning that that's power to be used in our society to, to change it, to impact it. We talked a lot about the power of one. So I had already been thinking and processing what role am I supposed to have? What does God want for me to do in this world? And I felt the nudges in my life to where when that opportunity arose, it was really just, I want to make sure I don't lose my wife and I want to make sure I don't lose my kids because uh, my ego was, was involved where one of my mentors says the ego's acronym for edging God out. Mm -hmm. So he had told me, don't you dare leave your, your spiritual and your family out of this, this decision. And I've got my mom for that. My mom's traditional old school Mexican woman who thinks that everything's bad and something <laughs> bad is going to happen from this. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom was in my ear about don't do it because you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your kids. So mm -hmm. I think that was really good. At, and, and when we got to that, t that discussion at the dining room table, I had already made up my mind. I just thought if I get the go-ahead from my wife and really my mother-in-law who lives on our same block, which is a blessing, and then having my boys. Because my boys, I knew, were going to take hits in the schools. They were going to be the school board members' kids. And then the one we didn't expect was then there were the school board president's kids. And so when you can imagine, um, I, I was trying to prepare myself for what the negative things might be. There's no way I could have prepared for what was to come. So really? running for running for the board was fun. I remember the night when we won, we're having a big, huge celebration party. I've got my family. Now you got to understand, my mom's got over 10 brothers and sisters. My dad's got over 10 <laughs> oh, brothers and sisters. Awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> the majority of Northside Diamond Hill feels like. <laughs> you imagine how many cousins we have. And then all the young people. So you can imagine our, our, our night, we're celebrating the big victory. We won with 85% of the vote against wow. the incumbents. That's with awesome. a wow. PhD. Wow. He That's had a PhD awesome. in education. That's And wild. we beat this guy. So the neighborhood is You just didn't excited. just beat the guy. That's <laughs> 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 an understatement. Yeah. And, and wow. I can tell you that if I'd have known what he was dealing with back then, I wouldn't have run. Yeah. To be real. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, if I'd have known the fights he was fighting and the reasons why he was so angry, and he was well quoted for saying the Fort Worth way is the white way. So he, oh, wow. had, he, had, he had drawn a clear line within that boardroom on a racial, racial tension that he had added to it. And I knew that I would bring this camp community model of love and inclusiveness. Right. 
So here we are at the campaign deal and we're celebrating. And I remember I like to take steps back and just absorb the moment. And on that night, I did that. And my wife is in my arms and I'm leaning back and I'm just soaking it in. And I thought, my goodness, what the heck did I just get myself into? <laughs> I don't like know the first moment. thing about being a school board member. <laughs> yeah. But then the camp community stuff came back in. <laughs> Google.com. Right, right. <laughs> what do school boards do? What is a school board? No. What is a school board? And in my case, what I had to go back to was, was not let that negativity take over my mind, but to tell myself that God had prepared me to do what he wanted me to do. And being in that state of mind, all I kept thinking is, if I, as long as I never forget, first of all, my sons and the young people that I'm here to serve, I'm, I think I'm going to be just fine. So that's kind of how all that went down. That's amazing. That's awesome. So, so you talked a little bit about worrying about, or at least being concerned about the kind of flack that your your sons were going to take. Mm-hmm. So, what what was that like? What what has been the pros and the cons? Do you think just as far as for for your own um, immediate family throughout this experience? So there there are way more pros than cons, but the cons are pretty intense. The cons, for example, when um, you know rumors start about me i'm young uh, i don't think i'm attractive but people will compliment me from time to time and then you know my energy and my passion mm-hmm. uh, I, I i can rub people the wrong way because i'm unapologetic about children and i'm okay with that part but it's when people take to creating rumors about me mm-hmm. that that then infiltrate my home be it a, about you know my home or my community or why i'm even there so when people begin to question uh my my why um, that's been frustrating because the 38 years of my life, I never had to deal with that. People knew who I was. They knew what I was passionate about. They knew me as a gang interventionist, as a youth youth minister. And then all of a sudden, people are out there talking bad about me. And then that stuff grows into the schools. So you've got mm-hmm. teachers talking amongst each other. And I'm wondering, do my kids hear about this or not? Mm-hmm. And then I've got to have conversations with my kids. And it turns out that it's not out of the norm as I collaborate with with colleagues, with school board members all across the country and the state, this is actually pretty typical of a young board member. So mm. I, I was able to find, you know, that, that, that support system with other people in public life. Uh, but it didn't feel good and didn't have to feel good. Thing is that it was amazing that after first year and a half or two years, my skin thickened like I never thought it would. Yeah. Oh, so my good. wife would say... <laughs> You know, it, it, my wife would say, hey, you know, wh- how do you feel about people saying that you're taking money or that you're doing this or doing that? And I tell my wife, look, I don't care. As long as you love me and my kids love me and, and neither one, none, none of you are leaving me, I can handle whatever's coming. Yeah. And, and sometimes I could and sometimes it was a little bit harder. But um, going back to my roots and going back to my church and going back to my inner circle, uh, that's always been able to, to help me through that phase like so for example when my oldest son got the full ride to tcu he was ranked number three out of over 350 students he earned it and and i watched him stay up late at night preparing his essays doing the applications and he'd gotten accepted accepted at so many universities but then people are out there talking saying he's only getting it because he's a school board Mm -hmm. president's kid and so you know he gets on campus and people say the same thing and i have to look at him in the eyes and say absolutely not Right. So he's getting a lesson much faster than what I wanted him to get about how ugly people can be yeah. and mm-hmm. how his integrity can be questioned, mm-hmm. regardless if you have the proof. I'm like, son, baby boy, you're ranked three out of 300 plus people. Your dad won't even rank 30th <laughs> or top 100. <laughs> right. Like what you've done is beyond amazing. And you didn't do it because you were my kid. You right. did it because 
of the gifts that you're implementing and your passion or desire to make sure that you get to a higher level of education and a good quality institution. Yeah. So he got over pretty quick. Right. And um, the successes, he's a poli-sci major. You know, That's nowhere awesome. in our family That's would awesome. we've ever talked about somebody being a poli-sci major, but yeah. he's got the bug as he's been able to work other campaigns, seen ours. We were itching for an opponent mm-hmm. right. uh, a couple of months ago, <laughs> and my son was going to take a lead role, yeah. but we were ready, and he mm-hmm. was ready to, to take a bigger role. But he's a poli-sci major, minor in Latino studies, right. and, and my middle son, um, this is, uh, usually I say I'm not bragging, it's a testimony. This one I'm bragging. Right. <laughs> my middle son is going to be a senior. He's playing football, working at a pizza joint, um, and going to be the incoming class, senior class president. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And that's a conversation that I don't know if would have necessarily happened if I hadn't gotten into the role. So what we tell the young people, we're big on the My Brother's Keeper chapters mm-hmm. in Fort Worth IZ. We tell the young people when I begin in telling my sons, images dictate your reality. Mm-hmm. And in your case, my sons, I want you to see somebody that looks like you that can have positional power and personal power and knows what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, so we'll learn how to serve. You know, it's interesting because I mean, your kids are also getting a, a, the, a lesson, which is, I mean, it's been turned into a Facebook meme, but it's it's essentially like people that don't have success don't want to see you have success or people that see you have, you know, people that aren't happy don't want other people to be happy. Right. And, I mean, a full ride to TCU is nothing to sneeze at no. at all. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, to see that in, in the jealousy and, and envy and, and that people have makes them say ugly things. So that's a, a lesson for a 17 to 19 year old kid or however old they were when that happened. That's a huge lesson to get a dose of mm-hmm. very early on. I mean, cause there, there are a number of people out there that don't learn, don't learn that into their twenties, thirties. And there's people that are posting it on Facebook that in their forties and fifties that are learning that lesson, even though that should be something that's. I mean, like, well, duh. Yep. But, as you know, it's just that that's, again, it's a pro of your situation that you, that's a, a massive lesson before they even get into their professional career that your kids can learn that it's like, look, look at, look at this, you know, and then look at all these rumors and everything. And yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's huge. It is huge. And I think it's, it's very clear. You have a very good, open and honest relationship with your sons about, you know, the day-to-day struggles in the world. And I just want to kind of pivot. So you've talked about, you know, kind of privilege and use the privilege you have, recognize it. And I think that's extremely powerful because I think too many people don't recognize the privilege they have and the ability they have to make good of that. Um, how, how have you kind of seen that being, um, you know, a, a Hispanic dad here in Texas and in America and just kind of what has some of those conversations you've had with your sons related to that and also like what have you seen with other families and as you've been able to help them so you're going to get me into one of my uh, sweet spots yeah the, the, that was the, that was the goal <laughs> well my one of my sweet spots is is talking about race and the social construct mm-hmm. of race uh, i teach on it at tcu i'm an adjunct there in the criminal justice department and so we can't talk about criminal justice if we don't talk about race and the mm-hmm. impact that it has uh, we talk about race in my neighborhood all the time we talk about race on the school board our school board passed a racial and ethnic equity policy calling out systemic racism. Mm -hmm. When you've got 89% children of color and the 11% are seriously outperforming them, that's a systems issue. That's not a human capacity issue. And so what we do is we always start the same conversation that you, or the same question you've asked, we always start with the history of race and it's a brief one, but it's for anyone that wants to 
uh, get unplugged from the system, from the matrix, so to speak, <laughs> is, is, to, is to Google uh, the origin of Caucasian. And what the person will find is you'll find that there's a skull on, on most of the images of the links, and the skull is linked to Johann Blumenbach. Johann Blumenbach came up with this scientific theory or science and, and from a theory and said that, that white people, Caucasians from the Caucasus Mountains, were the most superior, most beautiful people in the world. His limited wow. science that he had in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And when he used that uh, and published it and put that out there, it was something that white people could use to their advantage to say, look, there's science that proves that white people are superior. Mm. That is how this country was founded. We use that same narrative and all of our founding fathers used it as well. We use Christianity. We use the Bible to justify mm -hmm. all of that. So... When I'm looking at race, I'm looking at it from historical perspective first, sure. that I understand that this is a social construct. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's not real. That the melanin in my skin or the lack thereof should not be dictating the, the assumption of my capacity. So when I'm telling you that I'm changing the narrative, I'm really coming from the point of where race started. Mm -hmm. And that this is one guy's idea, and it's gone worldwide because it benefits one group of people. Mm -hmm. So then you have dominant group, you have non-dominant groups. So in our country, we started with Caucasoid, Mongoloid, Australoid, and then Negroid. This has been systemically designed. So if, if we're looking at the statistics and the data and education, education was designed for white, male, wealthy, heterosexual Christian. So it does, those that are not in those categories don't perform as well. Mm -hmm. So the system is working exactly the way it was designed to work. The criminal justice system, same way. It was designed to benefit other people. And if you've seen 13th, the documentary on Netflix, gives you a great argument as to why black men are the number one targeted group in our country. Yeah. So everything that plays out in the media, I've got answers to the root causes. And for me, I'm a big history buff. So when I look at that, I'm not being lied to anymore. I can't have a presidential administration telling me that this is the narrative and I have to believe it. Mm -hmm. right. Because when you know the history, then you, then you know where to go with it. So understanding the social construct of history, uh, of race and the history that goes along with it allowed me to educate my sons in my home to say that there are racial identity scales that we can assess where people are at. So having done all those years of gang intervention and working with juveniles in, in the facility, the conversation with children of color has historically been, I don't like white people. White people are the enemy. It's the man. The man's got the foot on my neck. I've been able to take that, that conversation begin with an academic understanding of race and then be able to explain to them that th that human beings are way more complex because of this construct. Mm -hmm. So you can't unpackage race unless you understand it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you for free 99, as we say in my neighborhood, <laughs> Hashtag free some, 99. something that I, uh, that I train on uh, here locally and around the country and even more so on school boards because school boards are mesmerized as how five white board members of fourth ISD and four of color passed the racial and ethnic equity policy unanimously. Well, I'm going to tell you how I did it. These are one-on-one -on -one conversations I had with my colleagues. So we're going to go with white America. And you notice I don't say Caucasian because the term Caucasian is outdated. Mm -hmm. That'd be as if we're calling Asian people Mongoloids, Australoids, and then the black people calling them Negroids. Mm -hmm. So white people, white Americans. Stage one is, is a white person in this country. And it's only relevant to the U.S. because of our history. Stage one is a white person who believes they're superior to other groups. That's easy to identify. Mm -hmm. We're all over the news this weekend in Virginia, right? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a stage one mentality of, of they are superior 
and, and everyone else is inferior. Um, it used to be, I think, a lot easier to hide up until recently, last couple of years. I think mm -hmm. a, little bit, a couple more people are a little bit more open about it now. Mm -hmm. Stage two is a white American who's becoming aware, saying, my God, what's going on in Virginia right now? Right. What's, been, what's been happening in St. Louis? What's been going on with this Black Lives Matter? Race still a problem? We just had a black president. Okay. <laughs> I guess we do have yeah, a problem. Yeah, black president. <laughs> Racism's <laughs> ended. Yeah, right. Woo! Good. <laughs> Stage three is a white uh, American. Who, who sees the racism and the effects everywhere. Mm. So let's stick with educators for a minute. These are teachers who are, are white Americans who maybe lived in outside of these communities and are now coming in to teach at Fort Worth ISD at Stop 6 or Deep South Side or the North Side. I've been able to operate off of stereotypes that this narrative of you was such and such. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching you and I'm getting to know you. And my goodness, you're an amazing human being. My goodness, your parents, they do care. They do mm -hmm. want to get involved. My goodness, this neighborhood, not only has, does it have great food, but it's got great people. <laughs> this sense of community is something I'm drawn to. So why are you not performing in the classroom? And in a stage three, they get, they get filled with what's called that white guilt. Mm -hmm. And in that white guilt in stage three, I've, that, that can determine and drive my behavior and my decision making. So what, we, what I'm telling stage three white teachers is don't pity your kids your students in your classroom. It's what we call in Spanish, the pobrecito and pobrecita factor. So in a stage three, because you pity me in my classroom, you're going to let me, what they, what they used to do at Northside, you're going to let me turn my homework in late. And, and when I fail my test, you're going to let me retake it. Lowering right? that standard. Lowering that standard. Right. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because I, I feel for you. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and so in that three, that's a dangerous part. For, for a white individual to be because your decision making is done out of guilt so that you can sleep better at night. Right. right. Not for the right yeah. reasons. Now, just to take a pause, where do you think that children of color, especially in the hood, where do you think they see white people? One or a three? A one. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. They're going to do a flash judgment. They're going to see your white. Boom. They're a one. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to explain it, but I'm helping them articulate that there's a continuum of white. Right. Now, does it does that that comes from the narrative that's been perpetuated? Yeah, even, yeah. yeah. absolutely. If I mean, well, obviously have personal not. experience too, <laughs> yeah. but but I mean, like that's all part of that narrative. That's yeah. right, because we have also been fed a storyline about you, and and until I have interactions or experiences other than that, if the only people that have been coming and harassing my community historically have been white people, okay, if all my educators predominantly look white, which in me, I grew up in seventy, I was born in seventy four. The majority of my people in my community were white. They were giving me my education. And I had, I had probably nine out of ten great experiences. But I remember that one negative one. Mm. But then I'm going to lump everybody into one category. Right. And only education can get a white person from three to a four. And an education and also recognizing and acknowledging that what I'm feeling is not shouldn't be okay. Let me do some reading. Let me figure out what this means. And in a four, it's a white American saying, what does it mean to be white in this country? Is this thing about Johan Blumenbach, is there any truth to that? Is this historical context of, of everything from Caucasoid to Negroid, is there any truth to that? And if there is, how do I benefit, if at all? And if I come to the realization that I have certain privileges and my children probably have certain privileges that other people don't, then what does that mean for me? And if from a four, once a white American comes to terms with that, they can move to a five. I love stage fives. <laughs> Stage five. Stage five. I use that hashtag. So there you go. A stage five white American is a white American who they know they're white. Mm. And they don't take any blame for 
having enslaved anybody or having oppressed anybody. They, my, if my ancestors did that, then, you know, that's not my problem right now. Right. What is my issue is we got work to do. Yeah. Right. So I'm not driven by guilt. I'm driven by action. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to guilt me. If I'm a teacher, you're not guilting me in that I'm a bad white person. A stage five have thickened their skin to say, yeah, I'm white. And yeah, I do recognize that I may have certain privileges, but you got some too. Let's talk about those. Yeah. Right. And no, I'm not going to let you retake the test and turn it in late because when you get to college, they're not going to let you do that. Right. So why don't we go ahead and prepare you now right. and raise the bar and let's handle our business. See, people of color that are historical figures had stage fives along their side. Mm -hmm. Right. Cesar Chavez and Dolores yeah. Huerta, they had stage fives. Gandhi had stage fives. Mm -hmm. So when we're telling it's an education for people of color as well. So the people of color don't put everybody on stage one. Right. right. That there's a continuum. People of color, we got our own stages. Here we go. Stage one, person of color who looks down on their own people. They prefer dominant values. Mm -hmm. So this is a person of color who oppresses their own people, you know, a, a lot worse than even a white person might. This is a house Negro versus a field Negro. Mm -hmm. Right. So stage one, it's a dangerous part to put in, 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 in stage ones have historically been used by white Americans in stage one to, to rule and to govern. Right. right. So when I'm coming into office, I'm like, ain't no, ain't no way I'm going to be a stage one. Right. A stage two is a person of color, same as stage two white person who's saying, my God, race is a problem. When I was in Haslett, I met a number of parents of color who had no idea that racism was still a problem. Wow. They had moved out and had the privilege to not have to think about it. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, when my son and two other kids got stopped out in South Lake Carroll, walking into a Barnes and Noble, and the only ones that got stopped was my son, who was Latino, and an African-American kid, the white student realized, my God, race is a problem. Wow. Because the white student got to walk in, but he had to leave his two buddies out for a minute. Here's a beautiful piece about young people. He walked right back out and said, I'm not going in then. If my black and my Latino friend can't go in, I'm going to stay out here with them. So I think that there's more young people between the four and the five range just because they're a lot more forgiving and they haven't had to live so many experiences. That might just be one of the theories, right? But at stage two, they're just becoming aware. The dangerous part for stage twos is when if that young African-American kid's mom, she had a choice to make that night when I took him home. She could have said, you know what, well, what did you do? You know, what did you do to stand out or it's, it's to, to project blame on him? Right. What did you do to get stopped and not be allowed to go into Barnes and Noble? Mm -hmm. Or she had the other choice. Tell them the truth. It probably may have been related to a skin color. If the two kids of color can't walk in and the white one does right. tell the kid the truth. Right. right. Because if we don't tell them the truth, then we're doing the internalized version. Right. They're internalizing that. And then there's that belief of there's something wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with my people in my community. A stage three is a person of color. And these are all over the hood. A stage three is a person of color, very different from stage three white. What they do is they're, they're, they're learning, they're rooted, they're, they're, they're proud, brown pride, black pride, you know, black power, brown power, lulax, um, you know, this is public enemy stage, right. you know, fight the power. Right. Right. So the good thing is that they're getting rooted. And so as we talked about the State Board of Education, in my case, I know that the State Board of Education doesn't want my kids, my la kids of Latino descent, to have their history. There's a reason why, because I understand race. You know why you don't want me to know my history? Because if I'm unrooted, then I can't function. Mm -hmm. I'm disoriented in this society. So in the States 3, when I was at UT Arlington and I had Dr. Jose Angel Gutierrez, who taught me about Corky Gonzalez, Joaquin Murieta, and I'm learning about Latino leaders that helped make this country great already. 
So now in the three, I'm feeling pride. And this is where we tell young people, you can't love the fruit if you don't love the root. <laughs> Tagline. Right? Yep. Oh, yeah, that's our line. So yeah. then <laughs> the good and bad. The good right. is that I'm getting rooted. The bad is I'm going to be real. There's very little if no room for white people in stage three. Hmm. So a lot of kids in the inner city who have been fed the narrative that white people are bad, they're more likely to be in a three and look at you as the enemy versus as a friend or an ally. Mm-hmm. We have to have positive experiences with you. And we have to have people that guide us along the line. Now, so when young people see me in the, in the community in a suit, they're going to say, huh, is he a one or a three? What do you think they're going to say about me? One. one. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to say, man, this dude done sold out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then they hear me talk. They hear me speak. They're like, dang, bro, you dropping knowledge. They had, they, an, they had an interaction with they you. They had an yep. interaction. And yep. they think I'm a three. And I'm telling them, homeboy, homegirl, I'm beyond a three. Yeah. But only through education do you get there. Same way. So three to a four. A four is a person of color who says, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I got that in my stage three. But in a four, I have been fulfilled. I have been fed. My sons, my job has been to feed them positive narrative about being of Mexican descent, specifically of Purupecha indigenous people from the mountains of Michoacan. So when my kids have that understanding, they've been fed now. They can hit a four, which is to say this world is bigger than just Mexicans. Right. <laughs> in my case, we went to Europe last summer for over two weeks and we went everywhere from Poland all the way to Ireland. My kids were ready to be fed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. Yeah. They've been through a three. Yeah. Now, when my son hits TCU, he's able to identify his white colleagues at to what stage they might be. Mm-hmm. My son comes back and says, I've got a roommate that's in stage so and so and I've got a friend that's in stage so and so. It teaches us how to interact with one another, mm-hmm. what messaging they want to hear. So in a four, now that you realize this world is bigger than just Mexicans, you can, be, you can learn from other people. In a five, I love stage five and people of color as well. <laughs> stage five is a person of color says, look, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I feel strong. I feel rooted. And that's the part where I become unapologetic. And in a five, my value system is so strong that I stand with who I am, that any time that I speak at the Fort Worth Club, Colonial Country Club, or in the back streets in the hood, I always say, my name is Jacinto Ramos Jr., a.k.a. Cinto. And so folks will usually say, hey, can you give me that name in English? Absolutely. It's Jacinto (laughs) Ramos Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I'm demonstrating is even not mispronouncing my name. This is for me. (laughs) That's like us. Cinto, welcome to the podcast. I ain't mad at nobody for how you pronounce my name, but me, I, right? My I statement is. I don't dare resp- mispronounce my old man's name. He gave me his name. I'm a junior for a reason. Yeah, it, it's. I my last name's Aldaco, which there are a number of Hispanic people that have the Aldaco name, but I've, I've never had anybody outside of just butchering it, but never had someone be. What what, what is that in English? I'm probably because I'm white, but it's just it's interesting to have a name that doesn't sound white. And have never experienced that, and for people just to accept it as, eh, it is what it is. Oh no, it's probably some European name, which I I want to say it's. I, my dad knows where it's from. I don't. I'm like I just yeah, I got it. Call I, him I, up. I, I'm, I'm I'm a second, so it's like I have <laughs> yeah, his name too. Right so it's like and, 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 and a name like Galan, like like it's it's my name. I don't. Want, I'm not gonna, you know, 
Um, but it, it's, just, it's just interesting that it's like that, that you've had that. You've it's really like, been put upon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, like, outside so of for, for people like mispronouncing my name for the better part of 39 years. But uh, but it's just interesting that it's like I've did, did two different experiences with, with a, a, a name that's not Smith or Black or, or you know, Jones or whatever. Um, to, to, to just to have it, that would never occur to me to be like, well, how do you say that in English? Yeah. Well, you dumbass. It's my name. Like, there's no well, names don't have language. It'd be like saying Miguel. Like, what's what's that in English? Michael. Michael, you dumbass. But it's, my name's Miguel. My name's not Michael. You know, it's just that's again. It's it's. I just, but I like moment. what you were saying about you know being in stage five. But you know, um, you were saying by not uh, mispronouncing your name. Um, what were you saying along those lines? Sorry, I interrupted you. I yeah. apologize. <laughs> by mispronounce, by not mispronouncing my name, I'm I'm displ- I've got my value system out wide open. Sure. Right. Yeah. That that I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my heritage, beginning with how I even introduce myself to 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 the public, mm-hmm. and in my home. But the other part of stage fives is that the value system is so intact that I've learned how to. I'm a master code switcher. I I can function in the suburbs and in the hood. I can I, I can eat a, a good meal like yesterday at the Petroleum Club upstairs in the 40th floor, and I can eat a taco at JB Stacaria, my favorite spot in Northside, right? In other words, and what I tell the young people is when I'm dressed in a suit as well, I'll tell them what stage five means is that you can function in the hood, and you can function as the president of Fourth Independent School District, a $750 million budget, over 10,000 employees, over 87,000 wow. students, and you don't have to second guess yourself as to am I qualified am mm-hmm. i capable because the level of confidence is so well built but only because from a three to a four was the best journey for me for me to have found that white people can be good people that that other people of color can be good people that all walks of life muslims jewish which we do at camp community when i get to meet someone that's different from me it's not a deficit right. that there's so much beauty that they can add to my mm-hmm. life and i just become a better servant to people so stage fives on both ends change the world so my mindset coming in to the school board was that i was going to be a stage five and when i found my colleagues they were in different stages and they had to be willing to move Mm -hmm. in order for us to do the work that we've done we're not having hard conversations on race like the city is right now the city right now is up in turmoil in fort worth we've got all these things that are happening we got sb4 that they don't want to join litigation on we don't have those issues because we understand the social construct of race and my white colleagues understand that they don't want to be in stage three in white guilt. My white colleagues are like, what are we going to do about this? Yeah. Matter of fact, they're even more angry about certain situations more than I am because I've already worked through that. Mm-hmm. They're just mm-hmm. becoming aware of it. So to go back to my sons, mm-hmm. my sons are well-versed in, in, in the racial identity skills. They're well-versed on the social construct of race. Uh, I told them, I said, and just like I told my students at TCU, I am going to teach you about race and you take what you want from it. But if you master this social construct, you will master on how to navigate in this country because it doesn't matter what what uh, professional role you take on. When you see someone and you know they're in a stage one, then you know what kind of messaging they need, if any at all. Mm-hmm. You know that if you meet a stage three white person, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was in campaign mode, if I met a stage three white person saying, Cinto, are you going to save all them kids from the barrio in the hood? I can't change that person from a three to a four or five in one hour or five minutes. So I'm going to give them the message that they want. Absolutely. Give me the money to go out and run a campaign. I will go save them kids from the hood. When I meet a stage five white person, 
they'd say, uh, I'm, I'm willing to give you a $1,000 campaign contribution, but what are you going to do with my money? There's no guilt associated mm -hmm. with it. It's action-oriented. Right. I want to know what you're going to do. And now, if I didn't understand race, I'd be like, man, who is this person trying to act like they're better than me? I'd almost categorize them as a stage one. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Stage ones and I don't necessarily get along too well just to get <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's funny to use a term I don't fully understand, but it's like stage one is not woke at all. Yeah. Stage two <laughs> is... <laughs> That's right. You stage know. two, maybe one day. Stage three could be... Stage four, woke, and stage four is woke, woke AF. Yeah. Brother, you just dropped knowledge on me. I'm taking that. I'm taking that on the road with me. <laughs> the important me. one is not woke at all. Yeah. So there's a hashtag we use that says, it says you can't, you can't, be, you can't be woke and broke. Oh. That's awesome. Ooh, you, can't, you can't be woke and broke. Like you can't claim to be woke and yeah. you're broke on knowledge. Yeah. It doesn't work. Baby alarm yeah. or toddler alarm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that, that's... You know, it, it's interesting. I one of my best friends is a black guy, and and he and I will have conversations that was a weird on brag. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, we'll have conversations on race, and um, there are things that he'll comment on on Facebook that I'll go down a rabbit hole. And Facebook is one of the worst rabbit holes in in terms of, of race to go down because whew, it's very polarized. That's right. And but it, it's interesting. You know, it, it, he he's supportive of our podcast. Doesn't always listen. But I, I'm really going to point him to this and be like, dude, you you need. I would love. Yeah, to, you need to hear this truth. Yeah, no, no, I, I would love to 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 hear his interpretation because I mean, he's grown up as I mean, he's grown up in a world that I cannot possibly understand. Um, I love talking to him about it because it, it's there's so many insights that he can provide, and and he knows. You know, hearing you talk about it, like how to navigate a professional world, he knows how to 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 handle all that. Um, it, it's always when, when we talk about the serious stuff, I mean, cause he's, he's a goofball like John and I and, and, and Joe, Joe's not much as much of a goofball as we are, but, but to ha I can have goofball conversations with him and talk comic books or, or movies or whatever. But when I have those serious conversations and I get a dose of his reality, uh, and, and him and he's raising a biracial daughter, um, you know, it's, you know, we, Whatever stage I'm actually at, it's to to think it's like, man, I I I want to understand this. I I understand this. I want to understand this. I want to better know what I can do. Uh, you know, like I I I want to raise my kids and my kid doesn't see skin color. That it's that's not a black man or a, or a, a Hispanic woman. That's a man. That's a woman. That it's it, every time that I have an actual deep conversation with him, like I'm floored at how little I know and how little I understand and how much I think I can relate to or, 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 or sympathize, empathize with, but really it's sympathizing, you know, and empathy and sympathy are two very, very, yeah. um, very different things. People think sympathy is a good thing and it's not really, um, at least, you know, there's been a lot of circumstances. And it's also important to note that in the stages it's, it's fluid. So I, when I was in the suburbs, mm -hmm. I could feel the effects of, of racism around me. And I wouldn't lie to myself. That does a lot, a lot of good for my own psychological well-being. Right. That when I have an encounter and I know that it's a racist encounter, I don't lie to myself. I don't question what did I do wrong. Right. What could I have done better? No, I'm, I'm not going to have that conversation with myself. What happened is real and it just happened. Yeah. So when I'm in Northside Diamond Hill, when I leave this podcast and I go back home, I'm going to go back to a three. The good side of a three. Right. I'm in the hood. I'm with my people. I'm in my community. I feel safe. 
right? Yeah. So in a three, it's my sanity that I get to be. When I worship, I don't have to think about my ethnicity. Right. I don't have to think about that. But when I leave my home every day, I push myself to be in a five range right. as much as I humanly possibly can be. Same thing for white individuals. Yeah. It's not easy to be a five because fives get fired, fives get killed. <laughs> And I don't want to be either one of those, right? <laughs> yeah. So in my workplace, I'm, I'm in the states that I absolutely have to be in order to be able to continue to provide right. for my right. family. But as is written in uh, the books, The Originals by Adam Grant, as is written in the books, The 50th Law by 50 Cent, I'm able to understand power. And I'm also able to understand that there are times that I can be an original and there's times that I absolutely should not be an original. Right. So being an original means that I'm going to take some calculated risks. Well, being an elected official, I don't get paid for that job. Right. I do that for volunteer. I, I'm a, I do that for free 99. So I can take more calculated <laughs> risks there than I would as a juvenile probation officer right. or, or as I would as a parent yeah. uh, or as a husband. I'm not going to take very many risks in those environments. Right. No. But yeah. Right. So it's fluid. And we can go back and forth in stages. And then biracial and bi, uh, biracial, multiracial, they have their own stages as yeah. well. Well, and it's like in, in – in, I, w- I would really love to have him on to talk about raising a biracial kid. But it's like his wife is Hispanic. So it's like – that's a real mixed bag of, of it, you know, and it's, it, it fascinates me just the, the struggle. I mean, cause it's, it, I mean, there's no denying that there is one and, and how he ap- approaches that. And it's just the, the whole conversation that it went in the direction of, you know, race, race, the history of race and everything. It's, it's just another fascinating conversation that I look forward to having with him when I can actually sit down just the two of us and be like, okay, like educate me, learn, you know, help me, help me learn and, and better understand, you know, just better sense thing I don't or, or that I can't possibly understand without insight from someone who can, you know, that's. Yeah, totally. Cinto, yeah. I want to, I don't, you're, you're talking about like how, I don't know, just you, you've had the opportunity to talk to people from, uh, you know, a bunch of different perspectives and it's, it's really helped you understand Oops. everything from everyone's, everyone's I, just, I, just, I, I was i was gonna since joe walked away i was gonna lower his thing and i lowered yours instead oh that's okay i was just saying so so you've you've gotten to talk to all these people and get all these different perspectives and show people other perspectives and uh i just want to say you know that's what our, our podcast is for dads talking to dads from different perspectives and it's been i know really educational for me today to hear your story i'm gonna think And welcome back. Thanks so much to Sinto for um, sharing that with us then. And thanks to you guys for listening uh, listening to what he had to say. For those of you who listened for the second time and heard that the first time around, thanks so much for sticking with us and um, you know listening to a kind of a rebroadcast of something that we had previously recorded. But I, I really felt that that was important to share. So instead of not having an episode, I, I, I talked to the guys and wanted to share that, especially in light of Sinto being on for a couple of episodes um, preceding this one. Um, it's really interesting. It's racism and, and race issues or whatever you want to call it, however you want to approach it, however you want to phrase it, is something that is alive and well and in our in our country and it it's it bums me out to know that I'm raising a child um 
in a culture that has to, you know, that, that, that that's a reality. Um, and teaching Ellie, and I know that Joe teaches Sylvie the same thing, that it's that just because, the, you know, we're born a particular color doesn't make us in any way, shape, or form better than anyone else that isn't born the way that we're born. It's the same way that being born male doesn't make me better than female and female doesn't make them better, her better than male and, and all that stuff. Like we, we like to think that we are an enlightened people and in a lot of ways we are, but in a lot of ways there's still so much growth to do and listening to Sento talk about the the five stages of white guilt and also the the opposite side of that and how pe- the the five stages of how people of color view white people was i it was just interesting it is something that i think about you know to this day i mean it is something that that has stuck with me that is one of those things that made a major impact in my life so i appreciate you guys sitting through that and listening i know i said that and i i say thank you and i'm sorry way too much but um, yeah, I can't say thanks uh, enough to Sinto for sharing that and, you know, hitting me in the gut with that. They re- reminds me of those movies like Saving Private Ryan and, and coincidentally American History X that it is such a gut punch. The reality of it is that y- you it's not a movie. It's a movie that you appreciate, but it's something that you can't watch over and over again. It's not Shawshank Redemption or Unbreakable or Stand By Me, which are three movies that I can watch over and over again and never get tired of. It's those movies leave me emotionally drained um, just because of, of the reality of the, the world that they present. Whether it was reality of 1945 storming the beach in Normandy or the reality of um, the racism that American History X pre- you know, portrays. But enough of that. That's that's super heavy stuff. Like I said before, that's normally the other host kind of um, – rain me in a little bit so um this is where we get to uh, the dad joke of the week and the dad joke of the week this week since i'm the only one here comes courtesy of me and it's why do seagulls fly over the sea and but not the bay because if they flew over the bay they would be bagels they would be bagels yeah i love seagull jokes um we don't have a hashtag roundup because um I'm the one recording this and I didn't do any hashtags outside of hashtag. I screwed up a thousand times trying to talk by myself. Um, I don't see how people do these solo podcasts. Good for them because I can't. Oh, my gosh. Um, But this is the part of the episode where um, basically we share where you guys can find us. So, of course, if you're not listening to us on it, you can listen to us on VocalNow.com. It's V-O-K-A-L. They have an Android and Apple app. And now they're actually streaming on Roku devices as well. So you can stream us at your house, in your car, at the office. Um, you can listen to every episode that we've done on vocal. Um, if and, and if it's not on vocal or you want to go back through our old archive, you can go to Detox Podcast. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast.com. And you can find all of our episodes there um, going back to December of um, 2016 when we started. Um you uh, you know the the website also has links to our Facebook, our 
uh, Twitter account, and um, soon you should have one to Instagram, but you can find us on Instagram under Detox Podcast. That's new, thanks to Joe. Um, you can also go, there will be a link there to our Patreon. Now, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it is similar to crowdfunding sites where you pledge a certain dollar amount, and you know whether it's one dollar or however much you want to do it all helps us it helps us with hosting it helps us with um procuring you know new equipment for the podcast um and it, it generally it just helps but with patreon what you do is when you pledge a certain amount of money you get something in return now we are always open to ideas of what good what, what like good rewards would be but for as little as two dollars a month you can get access to all of the bonus content that we record now sometimes that bonus content is simply just us messing up the intro or it'll be kind of behind the scenes stuff um it'll be you know uh it, it could be totally random segment like whole entire segments there's one where we had our friend uh friend of the show alan on and we talked about uh, Batman and Spider-Man for about, I think 38 minutes. Um, there's just a bunch of random stuff on there, but we do try to record bonus content every episode or two um, and then release it to you guys. Um, there's other stuff on there, t-shirts, uh, shout outs on the show, um, wh- whatever it is. If, if you have ideas, we're happy to hear it. But again, for as little as two bucks a month, you get access to all the bonus content. Um, and, and we appreciate whatever support you can give. If that's just listening to this episode, then that is completely awesome. Thank you so much for doing that ways you can help us out for free is like us on facebook uh follow us on twitter uh leave a five-star review on itunes um or on google play uh and just just keep listening you know to make sure you download the vocal app it makes it super easy to find us and if it's on wi-fi it doesn't kind of get your data right that's pretty good so yeah so that is uh this episode and you know again we appreciate you listening. I think I've said that now 15 times in this outro, um, but it, we can't say it enough. Um, and normally we split this up. So it's uh, it's kind of funny uh, having to do it all on my own, but um, there's not really a hashtag for this. So we're going to go with hashtag be a better dad and we will see you guys next week with another episode of the detox podcast. Special thanks to John and Eddie for supporting the podcast. Thanks so much guys. Detox is a production of vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.